Good morning, everyone. Today we're finishing up our series entitled The Artisan Soul. Uh, Next week we're going to start a new series that is based on Paul's uh, letter to the uh, Romans. And our staff believes that understanding the book of Romans can be truly transformative in our spiritual life. Let's watch this short video. Hey, um, office, is anybody excited about the sermon series coming up on Romans? God has the power to change lives, and I believe he's going to do it here at Anderson Hills through the book of Romans. And come to Jesus. I love this because he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone. So I'm so excited because as we study this together, people will experience the power of the gospel. So therefore, I'm excited. Two. Yes. Is God going to change hearts through the book of Romans? Oh, yeah. I am so excited because God has been moving big time in this church and I believe that as we get into the book of Romans, that movement is just going to accelerate and blow the doors wide open in this church. What are you excited about the book of Romans? Well, I can't wait to go through Romans because I think it has a lot of meat in it and I'm looking forward to the preaching and the studying of that book so I can understand it better, what it means for my life and for my family's. I am really excited about Romans because uh, people are going to realize that we are dead to sin and we are alive in Christ. Because God's going to do amazing things when we invite friends and relatives and neighbors because this series is going to be awesome. Because it's all about freedom. And I think people are going to be set free from some of their thinking and traditions and things they've always believed about Christianity because God has great adventure ahead of us in the power of His Holy Spirit. This letter has the power to bring new life, freedom, and joy. Nothing can separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 38 and 39. I want the world to know that. I can't wait to preach Romans. As people get excited about the promises of God that are in this book, they'll get excited about living out their faith each and every day. I'm looking for spiritual growth and renewal. You want more time? Okay. Romans 10.4, good buddy. Uh, uh. Also, just a reminder, uh, the Bible reading plan for the book of Romans will be found also in your, in your program today. Take that home and you can get started on it. Well, we've been exploring this biblical idea uh, of beauty. And we've celebrated the truth that um, we're all created in, in the image of God and, and how that one idea gives gives all of us beauty and value. We've discovered that God has created us with this incredible imagination and that we can begin to dream God's dream for ourselves. We've talked about how God took an instrument of of torture and turned it into something that redeems us and saves us. And then last week we looked at, at worship and beauty. Today we want to finish up by looking at the beauty of the church. Now, to some people, the church is an ugly thing. That the sooner uh, it is gone, the better the world will be. Uh, about 200 years ago, Thomas Paine wrote in the Age of Reason, all national institutions of churches, whether Jewish, Christian, or Turkish, appear to me no other than human inventions set up to terrify and enslave mankind and to monopolize power and profit. 
More recently, Richard Dawkins wrote this, Religion is about turning the untested belief into unshakable truth through the power of institutions and the passage of time. Comedian John Stewart said this, Religion has given people hope in a world torn apart by religion. And hardly a week goes by that there's not news of another uh, church scandal. Even last week, horrible news about what happened in churches in Pennsylvania. Our own denomination is coming apart over theological disagreements. Did you know over the last 10 years that the rate of church closers, close, closings has accelerated, that many churches have died and closed their doors? Some are on life support. So what is the church anyway? Is it simply a, a, a building to go to? Is it a, a museum or an institution that simply wants to control people and, and take their money? And when a church is unhealthy, it can be a frustrating mess. Uh, one example in my lifetime uh, that you'll all remember is the Crystal Cathedral. Uh, Robert Schuller was one of the most innovative uh, pastors in, in the world. His books were bestsellers, and the hour of power was broadcast around the world. The church building was one of the most unique architectural uh, um, examples ever designed and cost millions of dollars to build. We young pastors flocked to his school of ministry in Garden Grove, California to, to learn from this man and to learn from this church. But today the building is uh, owned by the Catholic Church. The hour of power has gone bankrupt, and the church is, is gone, all caused by a, a family feud, a dysfunctional board, and by greed. You see, the truth is that people is messy. People are messy, and they bring their messiness to church with them. And yet, when the church is healthy and when it works the way that God wants it to work, it is the very hope of the world. You see, the church, when it is at its best, is a collective of, of creators and co-creators that are working together to, to paint a, a picture of God's kingdom. God begins to use our talents and, and our gifts to create a, a work that is infinitely greater than the sum of its parts. And when God's people are able to respond to the, the ugly divisiveness and violence of the world with with beauty of love and peace and unity, this is how the church is to operate. You see, we're not just an event to attend on Sunday mornings. The church is something that we are. We, we are a community. I, I love what the late, great Aretha Franklin said. She said, the church stays with me wherever I go and wherever I sing. You see, we are a part of a, of a larger story, a story of redemption and renewal that God has been uh, weaving together since Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. I would guess that one of the most remembered speeches uh, in America was, was a plea for all human beings one day to be able to eat together at the table of fellowship. Dr. Martin Luther King was articulating this, this human dream, this, this yearning that we all have for, for unity and oneness. And it, and it resonated within all of us because that's what all of us are looking for. But did you know that God has the same dream for the world? 
that God wants us to experience this same oneness that God does. God, you see, has existed before history as the one triune God, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-eternal in being and co-equal in power and glory. God himself has been experiencing before history uh, this oneness of community. You see, we're created for that. God created humankind not because God was bored or lonely, but because God is so in love with community that he wanted a wonderful world full of people to share it with. And so he creates us, and he creates us in his image. Well, in the 17th chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus is with his disciples in a house sharing the Passover meal. He's just told them that Judas will betray him. In fact, all of them are about to desert him. And by the way, he announces, I'm going to die a horrible death, and I'm going to rise from the dead and go back to heaven, but don't worry because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who's going to live in you. And then he ends his discourse with a prayer. And he prays for a couple of things. He prays, first of all, for what is about to happen on the cross the completion of his, his purpose, his mission here on earth. And then he prays for his disciples that are with him because things are about to get crazy. And then finally he prays for you and me. He prays for us. Let's hear his words. My prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's, that's us. That's you and me that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you have loved me before the creation of the world. You see, in this prayer, um, Jesus prays that we would be one as he and the Holy Spirit and the Father are one. But what does that even mean? And, and is it possible in a, in a world that is so bitterly divided? You see, we can find a, a unity of personal relationships that's based on mutual love and obedience. So it's not just a unit, it's a, it's a union. It's not just unity, it's, it's community. It's not about erasing all of our differences, but it's about transcending our differences. Now, you who are married know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, think about it. Think about the day you were married. Two people come from different families. They come from different lifestyles. They come from perhaps different backgrounds, different ways of doing things like, you know, how you squeeze that toothpaste, how you fold your underwear. That was a big deal for us, you know. <laughs> different ideas on money, different ideas on, on parenting, different ideas on, on housekeeping. And you come to the altar, and there at the altar you, you state your intention what? To be faithful to one another until death do us part. 
And at that moment, you're made one in Christ. You leave united down the same aisle together, hand in hand. And, and, and soon they'll experience that physical oneness. But guess what? You'll be working on those differences for the rest of your married life. In verse 21, Jesus tells us why this oneness is so important. He says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, this oneness, this unity, this community actually has a a purpose. It brings faith. It brings belief. It brings love. It's just not for the sake of the community. It's for the sake of the mission of the church. That God uses the the oneness of, of the church for his mission of the redemption of the world. We have a name for it. We call it the Great Commission. It's what you and I are to be about. That is that the church is to conduct this this all-out search for people who matter to God. In fact, we discover that churches are healthiest when they reach out. Members are best nurtured when they are nurturing others. God has wired us this way. That is, we give away our lives that we actually find our life. The people in this church who are involved in ministries who are using their gifts and talents to make a difference in the lives of, of others who are regularly giving their faith away. Those are the ones who are growing the most spiritually. You see, we find emotional and, and spiritual health by moving beyond concern just for ourselves into the community. So we know that as you minister, as you serve other people, that you will grow spiritually. You see, the truth is that you and I, we need to stop going to church. We need to stop going to church, and we need to start being the church. And there's a big difference. See, there's thousands of churches all across America that are closing their doors. They've stopped growing. And most of the time, it's because they turn inward. They begin to lose their focus. They begin to lose their purpose. They begin to lose their mission to help people find God. I mean, read through the Gospels. Jesus was always traveling from town to town. He was sharing God's love. He was preaching and teaching and healing. The apostles did the same thing. The apostle Paul traveled all over the Roman Empire, evangelizing, preaching, equipping people, sharing God's love. John Wesley spent his entire life reaching lost people until his dying days. Methodist circuit riders, they crisscrossed America preaching the gospel, many of them going to an early grave just to help other people find God's love. And the result of their efforts was a growing church. You see, the more time that we spend reaching out to others, being involved in our community, the more we will grow. But the more time that we spend worrying about institutional survival, worrying about money, worrying about the color of the carpet, worrying about the songs that we sing, the more we'll begin to decline. Read through the book of Acts. Especially read Acts chapter 2. We see where their church was focused. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Listen to this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you, do, you insen- do, you, do you sense the infectious kind of enthusiasm for Christ? Do you see the unity and sincerity and the joy that, that characterized these early Christians? And out of the faith life of these Christians is flowing some pretty incredible stuff. People are being healed of illnesses just by having Peter's shadow pass over them. Signs and wonders are being performed through the apostles, and they're being highly regarded by the community. Just a few months earlier, the the crowds were calling for Jesus' crucifixion, and now they're being held in high esteem. You see, the early church had captured the heart of the community. And so Luke would write in chapter 2, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Something exciting was happening in the church. What was the difference? The difference is they weren't going to church. They were being the church. You see, one of the things that you see in the early church was the use of spiritual gifts. Do you know what a spiritual gift is? Well, it's a, a special ability that the Holy Spirit gives you to do ministry. In the book of Acts, again, we see Peter using his healing gifts, Barnabas using his gift of generosity. We see Philip using the gift of evangelism. We see, we see Paul using the gift of apostleship. No one is any less important and and nobody is is more important. No one has all the gifts and nobody has no gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul is explaining about these spiritual gifts. And he writes this in verse 7. He says, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, every Christian has a spiritual gift. Every single one of us. You may not know what it is. You may not be using it. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you have at least one of them. Now, back when I was growing up in the church, it was believed, if not explicitly, at least implicitly, that the, the pastor had all the gifts and therefore did all the ministry. But we know that's ridiculous. The Bible teaches that, that all Christians are ministers. All Christians are servants, whether we're ordained or not. Yeah, the pastor helps provide leadership, but all of us here are ministers, and and how we minister depends upon our spiritual gifts and talents. That's why this church is able to do so much. We have people caring for the hungry and and homeless and hospitalized. We have people who are teaching Bible studies, leading teams and committees, discipling small groups, and leading in worship. I mean, we have people who are involved in, in ministries that I don't even know about. They're just out there day after day, using their gifts and using their talents for the community. And because everybody has a ministry, everybody has something to offer to God. That means that everybody is important and everybody is essential to the proper functioning of the church. And if one of us is not using our gifts, then that affects the entire church. For you see, in the marvelous design of of God for the church, your gift complements all the other gifts and talents in this congregation. It's kind of like a puzzle that is not really complete until that last piece is inserted and the total picture becomes visible. And so when we have ministries that need leadership, I just begin with prayer, Lord, You know that the person out there who is supposed to do this, you know who they are. Maybe they don't know it yet, but God, show them that they are the ones who are to do this. And if I'm patient, sooner or later, somebody will come forward. We're starting this new um, 
a church called a micro church at the Glen, which is a retirement community just east of us here. And we needed leadership. And so one day our staff began to, to discuss it and began to pray about it. Uh, later that day, uh, Pastor Sue Lee went to visit one of our members, Joanne Brum, who was in the hospital. And, and near the end of her visit, she said, Joanne, I, I believe you're going to fully recover. I believe that you're going to be fine. And this may sound odd, and I don't usually do this with people who are in the hospital, but I want to tell you about an opportunity coming up. And then she told her all about the Glen. She said, Jan, would you just pray about this? Would you pray about being on the leadership team? And she did. And when she got out of the hospital, we met together. You see, she came to believe that she is the one who is supposed to do this. And very quickly, she was able to, to, uh, to recruit um, a um, couple other people, Bruce Schindler and, and Debbie Stevens, to serve on the team with her. That's how it's supposed to work. When you discover your gifts, you'll discover how and, and where you fit into the body of Christ. We want everybody figuring that out and everybody using their gifts and talents for the whole. You'll begin discovering what, what God wants you to do with your life, what your purpose, what your mission is. I want you to hear again verse 7. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You see, each of us has a gift that, that is to be used to help others. We don't use it for ourselves. It's not about me. It's about us. One day I was talking to a, a person who was having trouble finding a church home. She said that it was hard to find a church that sang the kind of songs that she liked and that had a preacher that had inspiring messages that she could relate to. Now, don't get me wrong. Those are important things to look for in a church. But folks, it's really not about finding a church that has the things that make me happy, that please me. It's about finding a church where I can serve. A place where I can help others in the name of Jesus Christ. By using the gifts and the talents that God has given me. Just recently, I had a person call me up on the phone. They had just started coming to our church. And she said, Pastor, I want to be involved. Find a place where I can help. And these are the things that I can do. I mean, she started serving the church before she even went through her membership class. Nothing thrills a pastor's heart more than those kinds of phone calls. You see, we need to stop going to church. We need to start being church. I find that I'm deeply moved when I reflect back upon the 15 years that I've served as your pastor, as the people who have demonstrated consistent faithfulness and, and steadfastness, who have used their gifts and their talents to serve, who have carried heavy loads doing God's work here without wavering, without complaining, without looking for strokes, without looking for fanfare. These people have been asked again and again to, to use their gifts of leadership. And, and despite the stress of, uh, of busy careers and family needs, they will say yes. Not because they want to make their pastor happy, but because they want to please God and they want to serve this community. There are Sunday school teachers. There are small group leaders there who have prepared lessons Sunday after Sunday without a break, without a pay, without much recognition. There are church leaders in our church who are responsible for decisions involving a huge amounts of money and who devote hours of time making decisions regarding this congregation. There are musicians in this church who practice and practice so that it will sound good. 
on Sunday morning. We have ministry teams who are advancing the cause of Christ, preparing meals for the homeless, visiting in hospitals and nursing homes. We have prayer teams who are committed themselves to prayer, who fall on their knees on a daily basis and bang heaven's doors for you and for me. We have youth who give up an entire week of their summer vacation to go on a work trip to minister to people they've never met and will probably never see again. And the list goes on and on. These are people who have discovered this idea of community, of unity, who have discovered their gifts and are using them for each other in this this beautiful, perfect dance where God is honored and, and where people are helped. And we're not alike. We are different. We're black and we're white and we're Asian. We're progressives. We're conservatives. We are uh, native-born. We are immigrants. We are blue-collar. We are, we are white-collar. We are different. But we're one in Christ. And it makes me proud to serve together as your pastor. But see, God's dream for this kind of community, it's not just for us. It's for everyone. It's for the world. I read the other day that about half of Anderson Township does not have a church home. See, I think it's our obligation to invite them in. It's our, it's our obligation. It's our joy. It's our opportunity to invite these folks to be a part of what God is doing here. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We can have beautiful feet. We can have a beautiful church. It begins by inviting people to experience this rich community of faith that you and I have. And it begins by us learning to be the church. We need to stop going to church. And we need to be the church that God wants us to be. Let's pray. God, we are a messy church. We are messy people. But you love us and you've redeemed us and you've filled us full of the Holy Spirit. And, and God, you want to use us to fulfill your mission in this planet. So we pray for that. God, uh, make us something beautiful despite, um, despite our foibles and our failures. Use us, God, to end the divisiveness and the violence in our world. Help us, God, to be the living image of Christ through our lives, we pray. Amen.